What is up, guys? Taiki here, and welcome to episode 10 of the Crypto Market Wizards podcast. Today, I have here with me Jordi from Selenium Capital. How are you doing today? Doing great, man. I'm excited to be here. It's long overdue. Yeah, much, uh, much overdue. So I don't think you need an intro, but can you tell our audience today how you got into crypto trading and what you do now? Yeah, I mean, hopefully everybody, you know, should, should still give an intro. Um, yeah. My background is... Um, Normally non-traditional, you know, uh, I used to play professional poker and in crypto that is maybe very, maybe, maybe common. So I would say it's not less non-traditional. Um, after that, I, you know, spent a decade trading TradFi markets, uh, mostly high frequency trading, but also a good amount of discretionary trading as well. Um, macro trading. So I have a background in uh, fixed income commodities, uh, and futures in general. And, you know, started dabbling trading crypto on the side in 2016, 2017. Um, you know, there were just like three coins on Coinbase or four coins, I think at the time it was like Ripple, Litecoin, uh, Bitcoin, ETH. So not, not that much uh, to choose between. Um, I would say that I was tempted at the time to go full time and for a couple of years, I was quite glad I didn't. During like 19, you know, early 20, I was happy that I was in, uh, still in TradFi. Um, but, you know, during late 2020, I, I kind of realized that uh, maybe, maybe, maybe now it's time. And I kind of made that move to, uh, to being full-time crypto. Got it. And you said you did TradFi before, but how does the crypto markets compare? I know there's a bunch of, Meme coins, lots of volatility, uh, valuation models maybe, you know, don't really work. Uh, like, do you have any differences in how to cut it? Like, do you think it helped to be in TradFi before? Or do you think it's, uh, you have like some boomer mentality that you're still trying to shed off? Yeah, no, you put it correctly. It, it's a blessing and a curse. On the one hand, you, you really at least understand the fundamentals of markets in a way that no crypto native will grasp because they're dealing with like an environment that by its nature is, is disconnected from, you know, reality and, and like the long-term equilibrium that it will eventually find itself in, in like five, 10 years. Um, so at least you kind of know the direction, you know, that things are going to get more efficient. You kind of know that institutions are going to start, you know, moving size a certain way and, and things will settle in. Um, on the other end, like it, it's like you said, you have to kind of shed off some of the boomer stuff. You're not used to things moving, you know, 10X, 20X, uh, in a day, especially without fundamental news coming out, or even with fundamental news, like, you know, there's a war coming, going on. Oil is not going to go up 20x, right? Like it might go up like 10%, five, you know, it's not going to go crazy. And, um, you know, there's, on the one hand, there's much more edge um, in in crypto. On the other hand, you can, you can kind of blow up and, and you can kind of fall into some traps that, let's just say that in traditional markets, it's like when you're bowling and you have these like safety lanes and, you know, there's like regulators and just people watching out. And in crypto, you know, if somebody decides to, uh, you know, jack up the funding rates and try liquidating people, like there's no one going to do anything about it really. So um, those are quite different worlds. Yeah, I guess people say crypto is the world's biggest casino, but I mean, you know, it's somewhat true, right? Uh, depends where you play, right? You can play in the meme point land, you can play in this perp land, or you can just buy and hold things. 
Um, what do you think about, let's say, short-term trading, longer-term investing, creating a business? I think you do everything. Um, do you think that's where your edge is? Like, how would you think about, I guess, these different types of timeframes uh, when it comes to trying to make money in crypto? Yeah, I think some people um, have like one specific edge. They they try to milk it and um, again, it's a double-edged sword. I found myself entering crypto with, with like a diverse experience across many different fields that are relevant, but nothing that's like completely clearly like the only thing. So, um, you know, I have a high frequency background and I've built Selini, which is now kind of, you know, a, a very large um, HFT firm within crypto. Um, you know, we do many billion of volume a day. So kind of crack that. But I also have interest in other things. I, I've always kind of been interested in discretionary trading. I've done that, um, you know, in very big size and in traditional markets. And crypto presents this like juicy, like <laughs> very inefficient um, situation that I, I feel like, you know, there, there's quite a lot of edge there. And then on the venture side, it's kind of crazy if you if you do this in in like non crypto and you and you get into a good venture investment, um, maybe you get like a ten x once a while. But in crypto, you, I know people that have gotten like you know multiple thousand x's. I'm not as lucky or as early. Uh, I do have some good returns, but not quite as much. But so the venture side is very interesting. Um, and then there's kind of what you know what you and I like to do as well, which is have have a kind of a public profile and discuss uh, our ideas on social media, whether it's Twitter or, you know, podcasts, stuff like that. Um, I would say that I can't really pinpoint which of those is worth it more or less. I find all of them fascinating and I try to do all of them to my sleep's detriment and my, <laughs> my lack of vacation uh, sometimes suffers. I've added um, quite a few responsibilities on my plate, but it's hard to not love all of them. They're all kind of so fascinating. Yeah, I think you have to love the game in order to get good at it. And like recently, prices have been just pumping every day and there's so much going on that every time I just go to sleep, I have, I'm thinking about crypto. And then I wake up earlier than I want just because I guess there's like these lingering thoughts that I, that's like you know carrying on uh, from last night and I'm not getting good sleep. Um, how, how do you think about, I guess, like, time management because um, like obviously you know you're a really busy man i think it's like 1 a.m like <laughs> like over there like when you're recording um how do you think about just life balance i guess work-life balance uh especially like in this 24 7 market yeah I, I mean this is like a very unpopular opinion but not an opinion it's just a preference but like you know i was talking to another uh fund manager um and and we were both saying like I really wish like the bear market lasted another six months. You know, it it's kind of just come so fast back and, um, you know, we're back in this like nonstop cycle where I love the bear market because there's less random shit going on. You can just kind of focus on, you know, getting your long-term thesis, building all your tools or your systems, you know, for, for HFT where we kind of spent the entire bear market, uh, you know, building. So it's kind of why we're able to um, reap that success now. Um, I'm actually a very balanced, like mean reverting individual. And, and the fact that, yeah, you, you go to sleep and things have just like, you know, people have gone completely crazy makes me a little bit uncomfortable because, uh, 
I love psychology. I always think about psychology and I, and I can grasp the psychology of the market. And if it's just so greedy and I can feel the greed, everyone's just like, oh, I went to 80. Okay, 100, let's go. Like 200, like, you know. I, I, I don't think that having that like loss of perspective uh, is going to be good for those people or, or is, you know, like you said, it's, it's kind of a global casino. And um, the, the one thing that's undeniable, the more years you're in crypto is that the casino part is more than 50% of the entire space in terms of the money moving, the, the tension, the, even like the fundamentals, like we call them fundamentals. Um, a lot of it is just like what makes a good casino, what makes a good thing for people to like have fun, bet on, gamble on. Um, is it because this is like some, you know, uh, amazing, like ZK prover restaking, blah, blah, blah. Or is this just like, oh, this is like a cool narrative we can, we can bet on. Yeah, crypto is definitely narrative driven. It's like if Solana goes up, then everyone's just re-raised the entire alt L1 space. Uh, and you mentioned something interesting about like social media. Um, and you know, CL talked about this when I recorded this with them, but social media is the fundamentals, right? Um, everyone's source of truth is Twitter and maybe YouTube. So if they see something posted 10 times on Twitter, people aren't going to fact check. They're just going to say, oh, like, you know, these accounts talked about it it must be right. And then it's like, oh, like that's really, really bullish. Uh, how do you try to balance, I guess, or how do you sh shift through, or how do you, how do you, yeah, how do you sift through like the BS and like the non-BS on social media? Uh, and like, I guess, like how do you also use Twitter uh, as it relates to investing or trading? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely useful for short-term trading um, if you're trying to do that. Um, I would say that's something that, I unfortunately do less of than I would like because time is very scarce. Um, my time, I always try to think about it. Like, how do I scale myself as much as possible? You know, you're a poker player, so you kind of understand this analogy where the issue I had with poker, even though I love the game and the strategy and everything else, I really couldn't see, see it scaling because you have to be sitting at the table and you have to be putting in those hours and you're exchanging your, your time for money even if you're playing online and you have 10 tables, okay, you, you can do 10 maybe, but you can't play that well. So you're, you're playing lower stakes and it, it's still sort of very hard to um, scale yourself. So um, my philosophy for the last decade has been to try to hit like an exponential uh, path for you know the impact and, and like the success I have. And part of that is like focusing on things that are non-time-based. Um, and for me, it's been a lot about developing a very strong like intuition and a very, very good sense of judgment. I'm able to make quick decisions without having to think about it for days. And those decisions are high quality because I've spent such a long time like refining my judgment. And that's actually very scalable because I can quickly kind of, you know, do I want to hire this person? Yes, no, like, you know, this red flag. Okay, just no, just move on. I've done this before. Um, do, do I make this investment? I can see the founder in, in like five minutes. I can see like, you know, he's clicking, he's going to pivot. He's going to figure it out. Uh, let's go. Um, a lot of heuristics that I've built over the years. And when you talk about like these short-term trades, you know, we, we obviously co-host the podcast with like Thinky, for example, and 
you know, we kind of joke around that his alarms are going off. There's like yeah. an FTX alert or whatever. That's, that's an amazing. And that, that's like a way, like if you're in your twenties and, and you have good trading chops, you should absolutely be exchanging your time for money right now, because this is kind of like a, a unique wealth transfer that's happening, you know, over, over like these next years that's been happening, you know, since let's say 2021. And I kind of see going, going into like, uh, most of this decade. So you, you can do very well if, if you play that game, but I would say I dabble in it to kind of make sure that I'm, I'm still, uh, you know, the old boxer still kind of throwing some punches, but, um, I do spend a good amount of my time on like more, uh, you know, building businesses in crypto. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think we both were professional poker players and yeah, poker doesn't scale at all, right? Like you go to a casino, the games are good, but you have to wait like 30, 40 minutes to sit at that table. Um, and I felt, I felt like in 2020, I just left poker for crypto just because every incremental hour that I could be spending improving on crypto versus poker, like the EV of just going all in crypto was much higher. Um, and Speaking of poker, like, what did you learn from the poker world that might be relevant to the crypto markets now? There's a lot of game theory, psychology related things, especially with money. Um, so do you have any lessons from poker that you want to share? Yeah, um, multiple. It's, it's so relevant. Um, I think one of the questions that we got for this podcast was like, how do you, how do you balance being patient versus, you know, kind of making sure that you, you grab the opportunity? And that's something that, you know, poker kind of prepares you at least, um, you, you get a sense of like Kelly criterion and if there's a, an opportunity that really is in your favor, you, you want to go big. Um, if, it really depends how big the edge is, but if you just bet the same every time, you're not, you're not really going to get very far. So I've learned over time in crypto that you, sometimes you have extremely asymmetric opportunities where like the risk reward is, is like very, very skewed. Um, and sometimes you have to bet quite big. Um, one analogy that I think about often from, from poker world, there's, there's two types of bets and two types of situations. One is like, you know, like I said, I'm very good at like, you know, logical markets and just kind of one-upping the guy. Like, you know, he's a smart guy, but I, I can like st think one step ahead. And everything kind of makes sense. I, I see what he's doing. He's trying to like represent something, but I, I can kind of read it. And if you're, if you're like a poker player, you, you imagine those situations where you're just kind of like dominating the table. You're, you're very comfortable. And then suddenly like this like drunk guy comes in and he's just like wasted. He sits with a bunch of money. Like he's, he's just like loaded. He's, he's like the, yeah, I've, I've had this happen in Vegas multiple times. He's like the strip club owner of like the Sapphire or something, you know, he kind of, comes in, puts like 250K on the table and he, you know, he wants to gamble. He doesn't even like know the, you know, what's going on. So like he doesn't fold pre-flop. He's just going to like pump it up, pre-flop to the maximum every time. So it's an interesting situation because on the one hand, there's obviously somebody like losing money and they're giving up edge. So that should be good for, for like, you know, the professional, right? Like you, you should be happy that, that this is happening. But it's, it's also like increasing the variance massively from a spot where you can just kind of grind, you know, make, make like your, your nice decisions. Um, and in crypto, sometimes like 
especially with meme coins popping off and all this kind of stuff, this is this this you know strip club owner is the equivalent of like retail coming in and just like trying to pump some random meme coin where obviously they're all you know they're gonna lose money. <laughs> some of them are gonna lose money. Most of them, right? Um, once in a while, they kind of hit it off the out the park, and it'll be like the, the Dogecoin or the you know the Bonk recently, where more people will make not you know obviously most people still will kind of round trip it, and Dogecoin millionaire will be making videos about how he like you know held it all back to zero and stuff. But um, I try to avoid those situations sometimes, even though they're very juicy, because the edge is so high in crypto that it's like getting to the river and like the guy's like showing, showing you his hand and like he makes a bet and you, and you can, you can like see what he has. Like, you don't, even, you don't have to guess. He's just like, Oh, I've ace King. And you know, there's, there's like ace five, six, deuce nine. And you can just decide, do you want to call or not based on your hand? So it's that transparent, that simple. You don't, you don't need all the variance. Um, so I try to just keep finding those situations. Yeah. I guess it's part of identifying edge and, I mean, every day in crypto, there's, I guess, plus EV opportunities, but some are better than others. And there's merits to just waiting like 10 days to find the asymmetric bet uh, and just like bet betting big on that. Is that kind of like how you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I would say like, you know, there's also a difference between like, what can you deploy like $1,000 in and what can you deploy, you know, $10 million in? There's just the very different trades. Um, so like, there's different participants and you kind of see that in poker as well. Like there's different, you know, it's a very soft game. If you play the one, two game and, and you go to like the, the high stakes games and you'll get some really sharp players, but you also get some whales. And so there, there's still like money kind of being fed to the whales from um, like very, very big fish. And um, I try to focus on the bigger games in general. So um, more kind of like thinking about, you know, how do you, how do you capture like, a very large opportunity. Um, sometimes that's led me to the path of, you know, VC investing. Sometimes it's led me to, uh, you know, collaborating uh, with projects and trying to help them build something because, you know, we're the big winners. I mean, we can look at, you know, traditional markets. So yeah, like one big winner, you obviously have the the very large trading firms like the Citadels, you know, they make Jane Street, they all they make 10 billion a year um, in that region. and. They have, they're like mainstays, like every year, you know, they're just going to keep pumping out the billions. And I think with crypto, there is an opportunity to build that. And, and that's kind of what I've been doing with Selini. Then, you know, you, you have like your very large VC funds that not, not like um, the WeWork kind of uh, investments, but there's other investments that, that have done very well for people. And, you know, in crypto, you're not competing that hard against, you know, you have like A16 and kind of like these, these type of funds, but they're, they're not that crypto native, I, I, I feel. Mm -hmm. So there, there's definitely edge to be had. You know, Paradigm does it very well, but they're just one fund and they can't be doing every deal. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of like thinking larger at this point, I would say, than, you know, how do I get like a thousand dollar hourly on, um, you know, trading? Yeah, got it. Um, I, I think this is a good time to pivot to this topic. And this is purely by coincidence, but this was filmed literally two years ago. Uh, we're recording this on the 29th. And I think it's a good time to revisit this video, which, <laughs> I mean, the video title was Understanding Crypto Ponzi's and Yield Farms at Jordy. Um, and we were kind of talking about Ohm, Olympus Dow. And we were just, I, I guess you were like just giving your take on how Olympus is not a sustainable model. 
Um, and I think people gave you hate for it, but in the end, it turned out right. And going back to this article that you wrote, when was this? This was December 30th of Smokes and Mirrors. Uh, you mentioned that the ultimate question of the crypto universe, or the answer to the ultimate question is minus four plus two. So this is obviously referring to like three, three meme uh, that Ohm had, but can you kind of go over this minus four plus two meme? Uh, and does this still apply in crypto? Uh, and just, yeah, just give, give your general takes on this. Yeah, th this is kind of the most important thing to understand when you're in the, in the crypto markets. Um, it feels like at times there's amazing social coordination, right? Like everyone's putting their money in the same coin. Everyone's getting rich. Money, you know, is just kind of forming out of thin air. And it feels like you just have this like, you know, three, three is this concept that everyone's better off and you just coordinate and everybody kind of keep, keeps the line and, and um, somehow this magical thing happens. So obviously like, and you can start taking more, more shots now from a first principles perspective, um, you know, you can't just create money out of thin air, right? Uh, yes, the space is growing. So there is a certain amount of wealth transfer happening from outside crypto to inside crypto. And, you know, you see that obviously with things like this, like, you know, Bitcoin kind of macro thesis and then maybe some of the other kind of L1s that are interesting to uh, outsiders. But for coins like Ohm and, you know, most of the things that are going on, especially in the short term, there is a lot of, you know, just like hot money rotation and understanding that the game is actually minus four plus two means that there is a winner, you know, they're making plus two. And then there's, there's somebody else on the other side that's losing even more than that person's winning because it's not even zero sum, it's, it's negative sum because you have all these like costs, you know, people have to pay for the AWS servers and for the employees of all, you know, all these crypto exchanges doing, um, you know, customer service and, and everything else. There's a ton of costs that are ultimately making it net negative for a lot of the activity going on. Um, so yeah, you know, wag me all, all this kind of stuff, but the reality is, um, someone is going to be doing better. And that usually is either they have a structural advantage, um, because you know, they're the one creating the Ponzi, <laughs> so they, they have all the tokens or they're the one kind of closest to, uh, close to the source of wealth. Um, or they're just really good at playing these games, you know, they're the the kind of Phil Ivies of, uh, of, of, of crypto. Um, and unfortunately sometimes it's, it's worse than that. It's like either the hackers or it's like, you know, the scammers that, that end up kind of doing the plus two while everybody else is doing the minus four. Yeah. And going back to this part of your article, the first law of thermoponsonomics, the amount of money in an isolated system can be, the re can be redistributed in a PVP fashion, but can't grow more than the amount that is put in. So. When I read this, I kind of think about these illiquid meme coins where maybe, let's say the market cap is a million and someone buys $10,000 worth of this meme coin and the market cap jumps to 2 million. I mean, technically all the holders are up 2x, but there's only $10,000 worth of additional liquidity to enter the system. So if people want to leave the system, then you know, they have to destroy the price, paint the charts, pay gas, pay slippage, um, and all this fake internet wealth, I, I, guess, I guess, in crypto uh, isn't real yeah. wealth. And you actually realize it. 
Um, and I think liquidity is always an issue in crypto. Um, and it kind of perverts, um, I guess, how much a coin is actually up and how much money actually entered a coin because a little bit of money can just make the price straight up a lot and make it seem like there's a lot of new holders and whatnot. But in reality, it's just like a few people just that bought and now they're like up. Yeah, money. that's well said. I think um, the key question is like, who who's willing to buy and for how much are they willing to buy? And I think I had made the point in this you know old article that usually um, the loss of wealth is hiding in illiquidity. Like there might be somebody willing to buy a little bit, but as soon as it kind of cracks through, there's nobody there. And so like that's kind of like where the mark to market on on people's portfolio is um, is hiding. And it might look like there's liquidity, but if everyone's rushing for the door at the same time, you know, that's going to quickly disappear. And um, we've seen that time and time and time again. And the one thing that I've learned, you know, recently is that one of the strongest like gambling impulses that people seem to be very addicted to is this um, sort of like path where, you know, bust a bit, you know, bust a bit. Um, it's this like very, uh, very famous game, you, even like a crypto game where you kind of like, you, you have something that just keeps going, keeps going, keeps making, 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 and then just like something goes to zero. Um, and then people can kind of bet, like, do they think it's going to get past this point or that point? And depending on, how risky they want to bet, you know, they can. Um, so this bust a bit concept is not just like a niche game that, you know, it's done with sats on Bitcoin, but it's something that permeates the entire crypto space so deeply where it's like Luna, right? Like it's going to keep going up and then it's just going to go to zero. And you have these like very skewed probability distributions where you, you will make money and you will make more money and, you know, it kind of feeds the greed. And then the, the reversion is so sudden um, and it's very prevalent. So people, I think uh, their dopamine receptors are not used to dealing with bust a bit is, is kind of like the lesson. Yeah. And when you mentioned that, it kind of reminds me of this. And this is something that uh, I think Nassim Taleb introduced. It's a thousand and one days in the life of a Thanksgiving turkey where the well-being of a turkey is up only. And then it's Thanksgiving and it goes to zero. <laughs> this is kind of like a lot of crypto coins without any, I mean, you know, not all crypto coins, obviously, um, but if there's like some meme coin or some random thing that's being shilled, um, it might seem amazing. And then all it takes is 10 dudes selling and then it's over. Yeah, like it's it's like the harsh reality of crypto trading, I guess. Yeah, you, you have, you know, you have two shapes. You have like this one and then you have the, uh, the one that light crypto, you know, has on his profile where you get this like downward, spiral but in circles where it's sort of it keep keeps tricking people that it's not over you know but then it you know it's kind of downward spiraling and it, and it is over um so th those are the two ways that ponzi's die and i think this th this little shape here that light <laughs> a thread on altland it's like one narrative pumps really hard and then everyone is like oh like solana's up a lot let's punt other alto ones and then each subsequent pump is tinier and tinier um, and I'm not trying to use Solana as an example, um, but just generally, like something pumps and then everyone just tries to chase a laggard and then these subsequent pumps just get smaller and smaller. And then at some point, uh, the liquidity is fragmented across all these coins. Uh, and if Bitcoin sneezes 5%, the entire trend is over. Uh, it reminds me of the, the shitcoin dilemma that you, that you posted where if 
Bitcoin goes up, then everyone just punts shitcoins. But if everyone punts shitcoins, then there's no one buying Bitcoin. So when Bitcoin goes down, everything just nukes 30%. Uh, is this kind of, yeah, like how do you think about, I guess, these like rotations, uh, do, do you think it's yeah, healthy? I, mean, like, I would say like it's two separate things. So so one is just like for the same coin, um, you know, it, it'll have like a hype cycle. It'll go up and then you know, Bonk is like one good example where yeah, you know, kind of gets the listings and it gets everything and it kind of like reaches this all time high. And then, uh, you know, it goes back down and then like, you're like oh, like maybe there's still life in this, it's part two, but it, you know, it doesn't really kind of match it. And then, and then you know, you, you've seen this with Pepe, you've seen this with like, um, all kinds of uh, coins like Dogecoin and stuff. So a lot of like the non, uh, you know, I hate using the word fundamentals, but like the fundamentally based coins will, will have that shape. Um, in terms of like, you know, spreading across many coins, the only thing that can sustain it is uh, people's tolerance for having more and more of their wealth in crypto coins rather than like, you know, rotating into dollars because ultimately it's the same ball of money that's kind of, you know, going from eigenlayer to Celestia to, and you're going to have more and more of these come out. And sometimes it feels like everything works and, you know, all these old ones have 10 billion market cap and, and, and there's more and more and there's an unending appetite for, for absorbing them. But if you think that, you know, no new money is coming into the space to actually absorb them, um, there's a point at which the only thing that can absorb it is people going from, let's say like, you know, 30% dollars to 50, 70, 90% dollars, where then you know, their entire like portfolio just looks like a bunch of altcoins. <laughs> um, and that can only last, you know, so far into a bull market, I would say. Yeah, but in a way, you can argue that the markets are efficient, where if market participants just keep bidding alt ones then people are incentivized to keep supplying new alt ones right? Uh, yeah. That's a really good point. I would say that uh, the other thing I've learned is it's not an illusion um, in in like the medium term, not even like the long term, even in the medium term, the amount of like difficulty and the amount of effort that it takes to create something, that will cap like how something, how much something is worth. Like if it's so easy to spin up a, a new ERC-20 token and just like, you know, give it some funny name and and like, People can just make thousands of them. Um, at some point, like that, that supply, like you said, will will appear and kind of like you know make make things efficient. And um, the things that ultimately will last a long time are the ones that are really hard to build. You know, they're technically very hard, or they require some you know unique combination of um, of pieces that uh, takes a lot of skill and and a lot of kind of effort to build. Those things will will last. But we've seen like, you know, PFP collections, 10K collections, like all this stuff. Um, unless you have somebody who's grinding, you know, like a pudgy penguins kind of grinding. Um, it kind of reverts back to like the question of how hard was this to create? And if it was not hard, then it's not going to have value. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, you mentioned, I guess, risk management and, you know, asymmetric bets. Uh like what are the characteristics of some of these asymmetric trades? Uh, let's just talk about the liquid markets for now. Um, and also from a risk management perspective, how do you manage risk? Even if you think that, you know, this bet is so obvious and you want to bet big. Yeah, I would say like in liquid markets, either um, 
you're dealing with like BTC ETH, where sometimes it, it just feels like the market is kind of very slow to pick up a very obvious headline or, or something that's happening. Um, and, you know, you kind of get like an 80-20, you get like an aces versus kind of tens, that type of situation where you, you want to bet, yes, you know, like this, this ETF news, it's going to be bullish. I, I should long. Somehow it might kind of reverse on me, but, um, you know, I, I can go pretty hard. And then for alts, maybe you, you can have situations that are even higher. Um, you kind of know like 90, 10% that, you know, this catalyst is, is very good, or this thing is just clearly like undervalued. Uh, the market's going to eventually catch up pretty soon. Um, I think people have done very well on following a specific coin and, and just being faster than the market to understand that, you know, some shift is happening there. Um, in illiquid markets, like you said, it's a different game. So there, you're kind of thinking more like, you know, what is opportunity set? And uh, just trying to, trying to be at the ground level. That, that's the key. If you kind of do like the 300 million round, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to get a, a very good return. Yeah. And talking about ETH, uh, I'm going to share this tweet that you posted a couple of days ago. Uh, and I think Ether, the asset, has gotten bashed, at least on Twitter. Um, saying, you know, it's, it's a cucked coin, uh, yada, yada, yada. But I think in the study last podcast, you mentioned that you have a price target of six to $7,000 of ETH. Like, first of all, how, how do you come up with these price targets? And also, how do you kind of time these, let's say, macro rotations from Bitcoin narrative, Ether narrative, et cetera? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably like one not many people that uh, spends a lot of time Trying to think about you know how how much these things are actually worth instead of relative, um, you know usually people even like really smart successful investors like uh, Ansem Santiago like all these guys they'll they'll just put things in perspective to one another like I don't know what an L one should be worth I have no idea I just know that you know this coin should be at least sixty percent of that one because you know that 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 coin is is really good. Um, which is fine. I mean, you know, you, you can you can make some good decisions and you will do well in, in certain uh, market conditions, not all of them. Um, in fact, like if you want to do well in all of them, you, you have to kind of have a very consistent edge that is more than one thing. So I'm not going to say that having a fundamental approach is actually going to help you during a bull market necessarily. Um, for me, it's it's a very fascinating thing to think about. I do want to think about what is Bitcoin in five years? Like, how, what, what makes sense? And I don't want to do this like crazy chart bullshit. Like, oh, there's no resistance after 100,000. It's just clean air to 500,000. And then, you know, like, <laughs> I feel like this stuff. Um, I think about it just, you know, from the world, how, how much money is there? What's the, what's the rate of inflation? Um, you know, what markets are we addressing? Is it gold? Is it stocks? Are we kind of getting into bonds? Like what percentage of those markets? Um, and similarly with, you know, things like Ethereum and, and other L1s. And, um, you know, one thing I've gotten a little bit of slack about is saying that, you know, Solana looks good, good technology, good community, but the token, this, how is it accruing any value? And people have started to kind of parrot what I've been saying. Like, you know, you either have high fees and then you actually make money kind of burn those fees or you have like, you know, next to zero fees. And then it's a great 
kind of community token that, that people can, can refer to, um, but it's not going to ever generate, you know, much cash flow. Um, so that's a very fundamental approach. And yeah, of course you'll, you'll, you know, you'll miss a, a big move, um, on something like Solana, right? Uh, I would say that, um, it's okay to not catch every move and it's okay to just keep kind of two Xing your returns consistently, um, slow and steady rather than, you know, having to kind of keep rotating into, uh, into the current meme coin and, um, yeah, something like Ethereum, I think, has managed to get out of the meme coin territory where I'm not saying for sure it's going to succeed. It does have risks, and I've been pointing these out for um, you know, a long time. I have an article around the ETH merge time on my as well that breaks those out. I think, I think Ethereum has potentially broken a little bit outside of this, you know, pure meme territory where it's playing multiple games that's got a chance to win, it might lose all of them. And, you know, we have to kind of um, move on at some point in, in the future, but it has a chance both to, you know, be a sort of store of, store of value, um, a competitor to Bitcoin in, in a sense, maybe, maybe not in the same macro sense, but um, just as a kind of online internet money sense. So that that's a very huge game that's going for, and, you know, it's still obviously trying to do the scaling roadmap and, and be a, a very scalable um, place where, you know, the EVM is still used or maybe other VMs are, are used, but it sort of kind of keeps the security layer. So it's either going to be security money or community money or you know, maybe some sort of store of value comes out of it where it's a it's a greener technology. And that, you know, that, that, that has a certain market cap associated with that probability that I think is is quite a bit higher than where we are now. And I think six to seven K is, is quite realistic for, um, you know, at some point during this, this kind of current cycle. Got it. And this is like a 2020, I mean, I guess timeframe is always tough, but it's, you just think that it's relatively undervalued and it hasn't gotten the attention it deserves. Um, and maybe we have all these crypto degens just looking for beta, um, but they should be looking into you know, the king, or maybe and Bitcoin is the king, but, you know, either um, the king and I guess like smart contract world. Is that kind of how you view it? I think, you know, people can try to play these games. They they should just know that they're, they're kind of gambling and that's like the main thing that they're doing. Uh, they're not really investing. So that, and that's all you find. I don't, I don't have anything. I've been around gamblers my, my whole life. So, uh, mm. No, no prejudice there. Uh, if If they want to actually like, you know, buy something and keep it, you know, for, for years, you know, maybe it's not some of these uh, alts necessarily. Got it. And I think earlier you mentioned, you know, top traders you've learned from. I think, you know, you really respected GCR and other traders. Um, what are some lessons that you've learned from them? And how has it shifted, I guess, your approach to crypto? Yeah, I mean, the cool thing is that you can talk to um, some of these legends that are completely been crushing the game for um, a long time. And um, because crypto is kind of like poker, it's kind of like a lonely endeavor, it ends up where the, the people that are playing do kind of seek each other out, uh, both for, you know, the sort of like social benefits, but also, you know, sharing alpha, like sharing ideas, sharing approaches is kind of like a win-win. That's like the real 3-3 in, in crypto. It's not like buying my coin, buy my coin. It's like, let's exchange knowledge. So yeah, I think my, my favorite thing actually uh, in all of the time that I spend in crypto is interacting with 
you know, re really smart and passionate, young, hungry people. Um, maybe not so young always, sometimes very experienced and, and those guys, you know, have some very cool stories. But, um, yeah, definitely, you know, someone like GCR, I think you talk to some people and you realize like this is like a generational talent, um, better than me at like, you know, trading. Uh, and, and I consider myself to be pretty high up there, but you, you kind of talk to some people and if you have some humility, you, you can kind of understand that they're just, they're just seeing things you're not even seeing. And they're, they're consistently right. Uh, when GCR gives me a, you know, an, an opinion, I will value that more than my own opinion. Um, so if we completely disagree, I will like not bet on what he's saying, but I will just stay out of it because I'll say, okay, I have been in invalidated by, <laughs> by somebody that has a very high credibility score. Uh, so that, that's sort of like one of my uh, favorite parts for sure. Got it. And I want to dive into some audience questions here. And one of the questions I got is from Ace and he, he recalls, uh, you made money shorting ADA on the way up during the last bull market. I guess this is, I mean, yeah, feel free to dive, uh, deeper into this, but I mean, obviously ADA just went up only, right? So you're bearish ADA, but it just keeps going up. Like how, sure you, you might've made money, but your idea was technically wrong. So like, how do you think about having a thesis? Like, when do you admit that you're wrong, right? Um, and also, I guess, Ace is also asking a question around hedging. Like, how do you hedge your spot holdings by shorting other assets? Is that the, is, is, do you think that's recommended for most people? Um, yeah, do you want to talk about this ADA trade? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of tying into what we talked about at the beginning, where you come from TradFi with this like boomer mindset and you're like, you're looking at this like vaporware and you're like, okay, the market's going to figure out this is vaporware. Like it you know, I'm going to short this ADA thing from 10 cents. Like why, why would it go up from here? And then, you know, a, a, like a 30 X later, um, you kind of like wondering what went wrong. <laughs> um, but there's also the tactical edge and the tactical side. And just like in chess, you know, you have your strategy, you're trying to figure out how to attack and which side, but then there's a tactics. Tactics is just like, oh, you, you know, I can, I can pin your queen and then your king and, and just like take your queen. Um, and in trading something like ADA, for example, you have these like tactical points where you can get, you know, uh, the trend wrong, the strategy wrong, but you can just like find these points where you, it's so obvious that somebody will have to, um, kind of capture profit, right? Like it's run up too fast, too quick. And you know that there's somebody that has just like made an enormous amount of money that is going to want to convert some of it back into cash, right? So you, you can kind of time those reversions. So even if, you know, you, you kind of like keep getting these moves, as long as you, you sell the local tops, um, you can, you can, you can be wrong on the global top, uh, and still survive it. And I've, I've made that mistake of, um, you know, shorting a, an altcoin too soon, many times, but somehow have lived to uh, tell the tale because of the tactical side. Yeah. I, I always be. I'm always afraid whenever I try shorting things in crypto, it's because there's much more upside on the way up. So like, how do you think about shorting? Like, do you just think that, oh, it's up too much and it's vaporware, it has to be sold? Yeah. Like, no, I mean, I think shorting is incredibly difficult um, because things will be very disconnected from reality. The market can stay, uh, you know, insane longer than you can stay solvent. And it's, it's purely a tactical trade. 
Um, I really don't recommend, you know, your average trader try to try to like do a lot of shorts. It's it's quite an advanced concept. I have an interesting thread that I wrote about shorting that um, got passed around last year that I think kind of summarizes some of my thoughts. But I'll just say that in general, um, the reason that there is edge in shorting is because it's so difficult that everything ends up being overvalued. Uh, because nobody wants to short it. So just the, the, the few buyers just kind of push the price up too too hard, right? Um, yeah, so this this sort of like dark art thread, I, I recommend that if somebody's interested, they can um, they can take a look. It's got a lot of the, the, the fundamentals of shorting there. But if you understand how difficult shorting is and you imagine that there are no people shorting and kind of keeping prices in line, it means everything's overvalued and it's going to blow up and you'll have like bubbles kind of blowing up all over the place. The hard part is just like sizing, being well capitalized for the shorts. Um, and ultimately, it might not be a good game for most people to play. Um, I've seen, you know, people like Light or GCR, you know, some of these people be able to do it quite consistently. Um, you know, funnily enough, like, some of the the big traders blow up by being long instead of by being short um, and just kind of being too bullish. I think you know the, the super cycle has has had a lot of, a lot more victims than uh, people uh, shorting. Even though there's definitely some corpses there too. Got it. Um, do you incorporate technical analysis at all when it comes to trading, or do you think it's just I guess astrology for men? Um. I think because it's it's enough astrology for enough men and there's enough kind of retailing you know that like you know there is like a PvP thing going on uh there there is some something that you can gather from uh you know especially on, on the retail heavy coins people are looking for breakouts it is something that TWF and you know some of these firms have taken advantage of where they can just how does Andre Grachev our buddy uh put it he says something about like know, price ignition or momentum ignition. We can do some momentum ignition. And because it's such a unsophisticated market, really all it takes is somebody to just, you know, sacrifice $10 million to um, create ignition on some coin. And then, you know, retail would just sort of dive in and, you know, you, you can then sell that $10 million worth for 20 million because it just sort of got the casino to focus attention. Um, so, Having an understanding of the charts and being able to read where, where these situations are happening does have value. Um, and I think people can do a, a decent amount of analysis on, on what's happening, but I don't use traditional um, you know, TA patterns at all. Got it. So I want to go into some rapid fire questions. Um, you mentioned JCR, but you know, what are some common traits of successful traders, um, common mistakes people make? Uh, do you mind sharing some of that with our audience today? I mean, the, the most successful ones are definitely very driven. They don't really have like a target. They just want to kind of keep, keep going, keep going, love the game. Uh, very good. They just kind of are plugged into the matrix. So, um, you know, high IQ does go a long way, but it's, it's not enough. Uh, there's other parameters that are, are needed. In general, if somebody has like a low ego where they can be objective, they'll be able to actually survive. The, the, the really high ego people do really well, but then they, they, you know, they're liable to blow up because they can't um, remove themselves from a trade and accept being wrong. 
So um, high IQ, low ego, um, and ultimately like having a good amount of experience thinking about probability. So either it's with being a poker player, you know, GCR is not really a poker player, but he spent a lot of time trading prediction markets, political markets, like all this, uh, you know, who's going to win the election. And like, you know, he just, he just became so incredibly good at that and thinking probabilistically that I think if you want to be a good trader, you need, you need to have this, um, you know, thinking in, in distributions. And I sometimes get DMs, people asking me like how to do that and just practice. Like instead of thinking maybe, maybe, you know, are, is it going to rain? Does maybe yes, maybe no, but try to put a number on it. Just always try to say like, Hey, I'm like 62% that this is going to happen or like I'm 58% try to be like specific and that'll kind of like get those muscles working. It'll take some time, but that's like the, the best way. Yeah. I think one way to, I guess, not have a high ego. I mean, I guess it's kind of hard in a bull market, but one thing that I think that's helped me is journaling. Uh, every day I just jot down my thoughts uh, in a notebook. And sometimes I look back to what I was thinking two months ago and I was like, yeah, like this guy is so dumb, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so I, I guess like jotting down your thoughts um, and just journaling, I think is really helpful because if you're just living the day to day, you just get caught up in all these emotions uh, and you kind of forget, you know, for example, like maybe you bought a coin and you're like, okay, I'll sell it at $10. Um, and then it's like $9 and it's like, oh, like $18, like it can easily 2x from here. And then, you know, it's like some compounding mistakes uh, that people get into where the higher a price goes, their target goes up as well. Um, do you have other ways to, I guess, manage ego? Like, how do you remain so humble uh, in these markets? I think, um, it, you know, you have to disconnect a little bit and think about more, you know, even if you're talented and you, you're, you, you've been given a lot of um, your natural abilities or you know, maybe you've kind of had a lot of, um, you know, good training as well. You've had, you've had the ability to get that good training. It doesn't really mean anything about, you know, your worth as a, as, as like a, as an individual. Um, and regardless of how successful you'll be at X, Y, Z, that's, that's not something that, you know, should be sort of tied to your ego, I would say. Um, I, I think being kind of empathic and, and thinking about other people will always kind of ground you. You mentioned this as well. You know, some people say like, do you want to be a writer? Do you want to make money? And I can see that, you know, for some situations that seems to be a trade-off that you have to make. Um, but when there's like an abundance of, let's just call it, you know, understanding and, and, a, and an ability to kind of create edge, you don't really have to make that choice. You can choose how to make money and it doesn't have to be, you know, screwing somebody else over. You can play like a very long-term game. And, and to be honest, like with my career, um, I'm enough years into this now that I haven't had like a 10x year where they, you know, it just kind of like completely changed my life. It's been like a 2x, 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 2x multiple times. The point where like, you know, the 2x's have summed up to a thousand x, you know, which kind of happens after 10 of them or 12 of them or whatever. Um, and it's much more gratifying because you don't kind of like reach a peak and then you don't know, okay, like what am I, how do I go from here? You know, you see a lot of successful people that, sold a company for a billion dollars and then they, they just like have no idea what, what to do. Um, it's actually nicer to kind of build it, build it sustainably over time. Yeah. And I guess if you do 2X every year, then you know it's 
it's skill, right? Uh, whereas someone 100x is in like two months, it's how do you know that skill? Um, like what I, I feel like a lot of people um, get into crypto for the wrong reasons. Like they just see some YouTube thumbnail of like, oh, this meme coin, I retired off this meme coin. And then they want to be like, oh, like that guy did it in two months. I can do it in two months. Uh, like what are some common misconceptions uh, that people have about crypto um, that you think is notable they want to share with us today? Yeah, I would say like <laughs> one common one is the one you just said right now. And, and I, would, I would say that you're, um, you kind of like seeing those people as maybe coming in for the wrong reason, but I don't, I, I think it's a misconception. I think it's a very natural reason. I think we're pre-wired to, you know, gather resources and try to survive and, and try to kind of like have an eye out for, you know, it's in our genes to, if our neighbor is, you know, his, his like farm is, is like got some really good stuff coming out and ours doesn't, then we have to take a look and try to understand what's going on. And the YouTube thumbnail is, is like the equivalent of that. Um, so I think it is the right reason, you know, people should be attracted to crypto because they, they want to make it right. They want to, um, make money. Now the wrong part comes where they listen to the wrong advice from grifters. They don't have the sophistication to, um, you know, play the game properly and they end up being the sucker. And a lot of it is just like complete lack of financial education. This is not an issue with crypto. It's an issue with the world. You know, every single person of the billions of people is like responsible for their own financial situation. And it's something that will affect their lives in, in every possible manner. I mean, you see like Jeff Bezos, you know, 1995, and then you see him like, you know, $100 billion later and he's, 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 he's jacked. 30 years older, right? But he looks like 10 times better. <laughs> um, so it goes to show you like the the value of, of um actually accumulating resources and crypto can be an avenue for people to do that. Like I said, there is a massive wealth transfer that's happening right now. And, you know, it's to the detriment of some of the boomer old money that, you know, may, maybe the things that they own will not be as valued as, you know, some of these digital tokens potentially that are allowing like global coordination to an extent that hasn't been possible before. Um, so I think the thumbnail, thumbnails are fine. Uh, maybe that's a misconception that, you shouldn't just come in for the money. That, that's kind of what's happening here. We are all sort of playing this game. Um, and it just sort of comes around education and the uh, the misconceptions come around who who do people follow and, and they follow like really like people that no clue what they're talking about. Um, you know, if someone's such a good amazing, uh, you know, predictor of what's going to happen. Like, why are they, you know, trying to grift something for like, you know, hundred K, um, there is, there is some misconceptions there. Yeah, no, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I mean, after surviving the past bear market, um, I kind of had in my mind, like what the next cycle looks like. And in my mind, I was hopeful that, okay, like, you know, this next cycle, it'll be led by real stuff right it's like we're creating value for a lot of people um but i mean we're like a couple months in i mean we've had a, this up only market for a couple couple months and it's like the same stuff right it's like meme points um like random stuff just like pumping uh what do you need what do you think the next cycle looks like do you think it'll be like the exact same as like last one or like how, how do you think about like what the next couple of years uh i hope not <laughs> <laughs> look there is a certain concept of muscle memory and 
yeah, it's been a bear market for, you know, two years, but a lot of us still will kind of remember those DeFi summer days and the, the, the farms and people are already starting to make new home forks on Solana, apparently, you know, we're, we're getting Invictus part two and all this stuff. They just fall back into, you know, your, your old habits, right? Um, you might not have seen your ex-girlfriend for two years and then you see her and, you know, you just kind of fall back into that, that, that whole thing. So that's not going to last. At some point during the cycle, we'll, you know, it, history rhymes, but doesn't repeat. It'll, it'll take a different path because we will have like some new parameters. I think this is probably potentially the, the largest sort of uh, cycle that we'll have. It could be like a longer, larger cycle because this could finally be the institutional adoption cycle. Um, you know, the ETFs kind of can kickstart that and then we can get geopolitical reasons where, you know, nation states get, get involved with crypto. Um, that'll be the final cycle where, you know, we 10x into the billions of users from the, you know, hundreds of millions, let's say. Um, so that, that could be this one. I think it's going to be a very choppy one. There's going to be a lot of uncertainty and, and intrigue and, and fights and having education or around the space is going to be invaluable. I feel like those of us that have been around for, uh, you know, some years just learning, um, that knowledge is lacking in a lot of the new participants that will be coming in. So that's quite a, quite a huge advantage to have. Um, in terms of what, what this cycle will look like, I do hope that, um, you know, the casino percentage goes from being over 50% to some point being under 50%, it's not, it's not going to happen immediately. Um, I've always been encouraging, you know, people to think a bit more long-term on sustainability. I really hope, and I'm not sure this will happen, that um, some of the narratives that I've been talking about and, and some of the fundamentals around, you know, fair launches and distribution and who's actually winning, you know, if, if Bitcoin goes up, you know, 100x, who, who will like, benefit and does that make sense does that is that like a good outcome is that a sustainable equilibrium outcome um you know some meme coin goes up 100x does that mean you know the the kind of shadow devs that made it are now like billionaires is that sustainable um you know are the vcs that backed you know this l1 um should should they kind of get this global redistribution of wealth should they be the ones getting this opportunity um I hope that we kind of go towards fairer outcomes that are more more equitable. I, I, I guess you talked about like accumulate knowledge, being in a yeah coming from ChatFi, being in crypto for a long time. Um, how important do you think is gut feel when it comes to trading? Uh, do you have any trading rules that you live by? Um, if you have anything, please please share. You know, uh, again with trading, everyone has a different style, different approach. Um, you know, at Selene, like my entire team, they're all quantitative and they're doing analysis and they're doing, you know, like fancy stuff. Um, meanwhile, I have a, a very strong gut feel for, uh, for markets and sometimes it's not even conscious. I, I can just like suddenly get like super stressed and it usually means that I have a position that's going to go badly and it always kind of seems to follow that. Um, so when I realize that I have to examine you know, do I have some exposure that can go really badly? Um, and it's something that I've learned to, you know, listen to. Um, it's definitely like a lot of kind of subconscious little 
information pieces that have put themselves together and, and like my body's kind of like realized that, you know, there's some danger and it's just trying to, trying to stress me to, to kind of prepare me to warn me that, that that's happening. So for me, it does, it does matter. Um, but I, I would say that, you know, there's, there's not that many traders that need to be that, you know, in touch with, uh, with their feelings. And it's, it's quite a curse sometimes because you, you know, it, it's like a holiday season now and I can't fully disconnect because, you know, I have all these, uh, kind of positions to manage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so l let's say, you know, you have all this knowledge, um, and you had the opportunity to go back in time to talk to Jordy. No, like 25th, I, I forget what year, but you know, like new Jordy, like younger, younger Jordy, like what type of advice would you have for your younger self? Yeah, I, the, well, the best, you know, advice I ever got was um, maybe five years ago, and I wish I had it earlier, and it sort of changed my perspective. Uh, and going through, um, you know, a difficult emotional period, and it was starting to affect my, uh, my trading, and a good friend of mine said, hey, just take care of yourself. Be good. If Jordy's good, you know, the rest will, like the, the trading and the decisions and the success, the money, that will actually like sort itself out. And it's so important to prioritize, you know, your mental well-being over everything else. And sometimes during like, these bull markets, even the best of them, like, you know, GCR, um, you know, this caliber, you can just get so caught up in how much opportunity there is, there's stuff going on all the time. And you start to like deteriorate in your health and your like mental focus and uh, in your like happiness, <laughs> you're sacrificing a lot. Um, I I really want to kind of go back and, and tell myself earlier on, you know, don't get stressed about results, focus on being good and, and the rest will kind of Maybe you won't catch everything and maybe, you know, you'll, you'll need to take longer breaks, um, but you won't have those like, you know, bad periods that are hard to crawl out of after. Let's say you're in a losing period, like you just have five bad trades and in hindsight, it was like just awful ideas. How do you bounce back after a losing streak? Yeah, I think the hard, the hard part is during it. Um, when you, you're kind of like in, you're in the battle, you're trying really hard and it's just not working. As soon as you know, you've tried everything. You just have to give up on the trades. You know, you've lost some trades. Um, that's actually easier. It's like a mental relief because you're no longer in the arena. You've sort of like taken a, taken a step back. And yes, you've taken, you've taken scars and you have to like nurse the wounds. Um, I find that the best way is to have a few other things going for you. So it's not just like, you know, that, that one thing. And then you can kind of bounce back um, after a few days. So, um, you know, take, taking some losses, maybe is a good opportunity to re-examine your approach, understand what you might've, uh, missed. I think I'm still learning a ton. Unfortunately, I wish, I wish I wasn't, but even, you know, I would say like, I, I've been getting surprised by markets being crazier than, you know, even I've learned from the last few years. So, uh, just being humble, trying to keep learning. Um, and having a long-term focus, I think is kind of what, what helps. Yeah. I think there's a saying, play long-term games with long-term people, and then no, you'll eventually make it. Uh, I'm going to talk about this question from Mr. Salsa Tequila. How would you diversify outside of crypto if you're in the shoes of a crypto native with wealth only in crypto? Uh, I think a lot of us, um, just have so much money in crypto 
um, how would you recommend them diversify? Uh, like, should they diversify now? If we seem like we're in this early stage of the bull market, uh, should they slowly diversify out? Uh, how do you, how would, how would you think about this? Well, there's different ways of diversifying. I mean, I would still say that I keep, you know, most of my wealth in digital assets. Now it doesn't mean like, I mean, you know, altcoins that could just be in stable coins or, um, you know, farming basis, you know, there is so much opportunity that does not exist in traditional markets. You can literally just put on a, a future basis and just get, you know, 40% on your, uh, money when the bank's going to pay you, you know, three, 4%. It seems crazy to have any money that's like sitting around in a bank account when that's the case. However, I will say like, there's a few things that you do need to diversify. Um, one is like your security. So if you have any kind of like single mode of attack, whether it's like, you know, some crypto exchange or, you know, just like your hardware wallet, have a few different ones so that if something really bad happens, you're, you're, you know, you've kind of like ha have a Titanic thing where you just like, hey, Titanic is a bad example. <laughs> I mean, you compartmentalize the loss. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when it comes to like, non-crypto outside of the digital world, which, you know, it's good to have some diversification. Uh, I do think that, yeah, like real estate far and away is the best option. It's not even, there's no second option. I wouldn't have money in stocks. Um, if you're going to have it in stocks, might as well, you know, just get superior returns in the digital, digital asset space. But there is something to be said about the um, illiquidity of keeping some money in real estate, especially like a house that you can live in or, you know, maybe, maybe spend some time in uh, part of the year. So that those are like my large purchases. And uh, I haven't gone quite as hard as some of the Australian DeFi founders that have been, you know, dotting <laughs> the, the coastline with their mansions, but um, I can see where, where they're coming from. Yeah. Well, I'll just wait until, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Igorov just tokenizes his mansion and borrows against it on all day. <laughs> uh, do, do you have any like 2024 predictions uh, that you think is a bit contrarian? Uh, just, you know, maybe we can revisit this in a year and then kind of see if you, we were right or something. Um, I would say, you know, the, the 2024 cycle is one of the murkiest I've ever seen in my, in my whole career, not just for crypto, but for traditional markets. Um, it has sort of played out to script quite a bit, apart from the fact that we, we somehow have the labor, labor market just defying gravity and, and uh, you know, the U.S. economy still buzzing, buzzing along. Um, it's, it's a very hard time to know like where the macro is going. On the one hand, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be quite bearish. Um, there's China slowdown and, you know, the West is obviously like over leveraged and, uh, you know, Europe is not in any kind of growth. So there's a lot of bad things uh, to see. So war is going on. There's a lot of tensions. But on the other hand, uh, we've been surviving, you know, 5% rates and those are going to go down. So from a monetary standpoint, there is going to be... Um, potentially more debasement coming in that, that, that can do well for, uh, for certain risk assets. When it comes to crypto, um, I'm still constructive. I do think that you know, the year ends up even better than it starts, even though we've had just a very stellar year. I think we're going to have 
uh, a very strong year. It will relatively outperform traditional markets. Um, we've already seen that we've disconnected quite a bit from traditional markets. So, I mean, one contrarian take, I don't know if it's going to be 2024 or 2025, but I do think at some point there will be like a kind of rotation of like old money into um, especially like major crypto tokens, maybe just Bitcoin ETH, maybe some other like major uh, coins. But I think there will be like a FOMO starting to hit, you know, oil nations and some of the kind of large clients of, you know, the Black Rocks of the world. I think they, they will actually start to rotate. It's not a contrarian take, um, but I am seeing that happening. And one thing that I've been saying throughout the entire bear market, when you look at coins that have a cap supply or like a, a very small um, increase in inflation, if those coins become desirable, you will have exponential moves um, on demand and supply equilibrium. It will just like suddenly like fly off much higher than you expect. So I repeat it again. I, I think Bitcoin and Ethereum, any multi-year time horizon uh, just looked very, very good. But yeah, you talked about, I guess, supply dynamics and there's this meme called... Uh, called uh, in, in crypto, it's a bull market meme where it's like, oh, the FDV does not matter. Like, what kind of thoughts pop up in your head when people start to retweet, you know, like, oh, FDV doesn't matter, FDV doesn't matter. Uh, does it matter? Like, what do you think? Yeah, <laughs> it matters. <laughs> but it also matters how you get there because, you know, from the market cap to the FDV, if there's a low float, but most of those tokens are just sitting in the treasury. So they're actually owned by the token holders in a way. Um, that that that's totally fine. You can you can kind of just look at the market cap and look at the FTV. If you're saying market cap and FTV don't matter and everything's just going up infinity, um, you will do very well for some time. There's a few people that know how to get off the boat at the right time before it crashes, but uh, odds are, um, yeah, you'll stay on too long. Yeah, got it. Uh... All right, so thank you, uh, Jordy, for taking the time. I think our audience will enjoy this one. Do you have any final words for our audience today? Yeah, don't build the uh, own forks on Solana, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, be careful because you know, like maybe maybe if the own fork pumps like hundred x, you'll be all the you'll get all the haters. <laughs> but yeah, like you know, actually, I I'm I'm curious, like what's what's it like having haters? You know, like you you caution crypto people, hey, like. Don't do this. Don't do that. People do it anyways. It goes up a lot, and then people hate on you, uh, and then it goes to zero. <laughs> like, how how do you, I guess, control or how how do you deal with like angry online people? I guess when you caution against their bags. Oh, it's so easy now. I mean, they they always go away once they're once they're you know hex or whatever Ponzi they're they're in. So <laughs> it goes away. They they kind of wash away with it. Um, I think those same people come back with a you know, a different moniker on Twitter and they, they you know, they, they go from being like Luna guys to being like the, you know, the, the other thing. Uh, they're kind of like looking for a community to join. So I actually get along with um, with most people. And I, I think I have the least haters on, on Twitter. Uh, I have such a positive like amount of followers in, in like community now that I don't know. Like, I think it was the early days where, where people were, were thinking I was fudding their bags and kind of taking it personally. I think now if I, if I FUD some bags, uh, it's sort of understood that it's coming from a, a more of like a fundamental place and, and not so much, you know, it's, it's not a PVP thing. So uh, yeah, haven't had any issues for, uh, for quite some time, thankfully.
Yeah. I feel like one problem that everyone just falls into is being atta- like too attached to your bags, right? Like if be- you buy something, it goes up and it kind of becomes your personality. Uh, how do you not ensure, like how, how do you ensure that doesn't happen, right? Like how do you make sure that you don't get too attached to your bags? Um, because I think that's the trap a lot of people fell into last cycle, including myself. It's, I just like got way too attached. Um, and, you know, like in hindsight, I should have sold, but I didn't for X, Y, Z reasons. Yeah, I would say like you know, one good thing to do is just sell some and see if like you you start to like have like the fog start to clear up in your head. Because, like, you know, even if you don't sell everything, let's say like you're, you're bullish on, you know, uh, uh, so, you know, you, you don't have to mention I don't know. I don't want to mention it. Okay. Yeah, whatever coin. Yeah. Yeah, let's take one that, you know, has, has been a trivial one, like uh, Jewel. Uh, okay, you're bullish Jewel. Jewel's gone up a lot and it's made you a lot of money. And there's all these other people. And, you know, it's a community that everyone's, you know, very excited about, you know, Jewel, let's say. Um, sell like 20% of your Jewel. Take take some profit. Sell, sell, sell some and see how you feel. Are you still kind of, you know, give it a day. Are, are you as like convicted and like feeling bullish or has the mist started to clear and you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm still positive, but maybe, maybe not as much. So, so a little bit more. Um, that's the sign. Like if you no longer have the bag, if you're not like dying to get back into the bag and you're kind of like giving your ch- yourself a chance to uh, take a break, as, uh, you know, Rachel would say uh, on, on Friends, um, then, you know, may- maybe, maybe that's the sign. So uh, I, I, I try to do that a little bit and, and at least kind of go through that mental process. Um, it helps a lot. Yeah. There, there's a saying where it's like, if you, if you hold 10% of your portfolio in a coin and you sold all of it, would you buy back immediately? Um, and if the answer is no, then you should, you know, maybe it's 5%. It's like the optimal position. Um, but I guess taking the first step of thinking about selling and actually clicking the button is the most difficult part to do. But once you do it, it's like, oh, it's not that bad, you know, like 10% go to 8%, like, yeah, like I'm still bullish. Um, and then I guess you try to mitigate risk that way. Um, but anyways, Jordi, uh, thank you uh, for coming on. I hope our audience enjoys this one. Um, I guess you already had your final thoughts, but. I think, I think like, you know, uh, creating content like this uh, is, is one of the kind of like the, the joys that I have, uh, even though I work pretty hard and I'm trying to do a million things at the same time. Take, taking some time like this to uh, kind of reflect and try to share with people is, is very fulfilling. And hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, all, all the people out there can can relate to some of the parts and, and find some use on it. That'll be great. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Jordi. And hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Uh, and thank you for watching. Bye-bye.